This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am your host, Jethro Jones, coming to you from Spokane, Washington, host of the podcast, Transformative Principal and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. Good afternoon, everybody. I am Frederick Lane, also a co-host of the Cybertraps podcast, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. We are pleased to announce that the Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, an independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyberethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Greetings there, Jethro. Hello. That was kind of a rough intro today. Well, but you know, a little skidding down the runway, but you know, <laughs> we are now airborne. So let's do That's it. right. Yes. <laughs> let's get going. All right. Well, we got a good topic today. We're going to talk about video games in the classroom, which I think is exciting. Um, but we're not going to talk about esports. That's a different thing. We'll talk about that another time. This we is have really put that in our to-do list. So <laughs> that's right. This is talking about video games like being used as a teaching strategy, which I think is a pretty exciting thing to talk about. Well, I, I think it's it's a great topic because obviously the video game industry has become a massive force, both in the United States and worldwide. It's absolutely staggering when you look at these numbers. Just in 2020, in the United States alone, the video game industry accounted for $66 billion in revenue. Wow. 
That is a massive number. By comparison, I went in and took a look at this, and the Biden administration is planning on rolling out significant broadband improvements to the entire United States. And that's only going to cost $65 billion. So just, Wow. That's, <laughs> you, that's so a good comparison. Get, I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. And it is a sign of how compelling the combination of good software and devices can be. Now, worldwide, we're looking at $177 billion last year. The projection is that that'll go over $200 billion in 2023. And the curve is just like a, a ski mm. jump, you know, straight up. It's insane. So w- one of the takeaways from that, and look, you, you come directly from the front lines of education, so you know this, is that with this amount of market presence, it's something that teachers and administrators have to deal with one way or the other. And so our goal today is to explore the various ramifications of video games for students, teachers, the school community writ large. Yeah, so one aspect that I wanna highlight to start is that video games are very engaging and (laughs) you could even use substitute the word addicting in there because the reality is, is that one of the things that we hear about all the time in education is that kids who have uh, like ADHD and ADD and other issues who have a hard time focusing in school can sit in front of a video game for hours and play it over and over and over again. Kids who really get upset about failing or not doing something perfect at school can play the same level a hundred times before they beat it and be totally fine. Or in these um, multiplayer shooting games, they can not get first place hundreds, thousands of times and still go back and continue to play it. So this is a really interesting dynamic that um, video games are designed to be engaging and addicting and that you want to keep playing them. And they've done a really good job creating them in that way. And I personally love playing video games too. I don't do it as much as I would like to, but they are fun. And I can pick up Super Mario Brothers and play that anytime and enjoy it just as much as I did when I was 10 years old. Well, you know, it's only a slight exaggeration, Jethro, to say that the video game industry is one of the largest employers of psychologists in the United States. Because, you know, the, the sincere goal of these software manufacturers is to do exactly what you're talking about, to make the game as compelling and as addictive. I don't want to use that judgmental term, but from a practical point of view, that compelling as they possibly can, because obviously that drives engagement. It drives interest in buying new editions. You know, it's very interesting with uh, two of our four boys are gamers, but the two that are gamers are actually gamers in very different ways. One is absolutely in the core demographic for video games. And there definitely are aspects of it that that are troubling and problematic. The other one is a board gamer, very much in the you know Big Bang Theory sort of style of gaming. And, and there's a very distinct mindset that they each bring to that. The other two boys could care less about yeah. video games. And you know, that's probably on Amy. But in any <laughs> case, um, it's it's just really fascinating to watch the psychology of it all and how it plays out. 
Yeah, super fascinating. And and there's more to it than just the engaging aspect of it, which we're going to use engaging probably through this conversation because yeah. we're not trying to be judgmental about it. But the fact is, is that it's, it is very engaging. And there's an aspect of gamification to things that we do in schools and in life that makes you want to come back and do it again. And there are so many um, apps and services out there now for schools that use gamification to help you learn math and reading and English as a second language and all this stuff that are actually quite well done. And one of those that I will brag about for a minute, even though they're not a sponsor, but they probably should be of this, is called called Imagine Learning. And that is a tool specifically for kids to learn English as a second language. And it is it is a lot more fun than a lot of other um, products out there, especially as it relates to English as a second language, because it's hard to learn a second language. And Imagine Learning not only makes it fun, but also shows kids really how to speak a second language and not just understand it in their minds, but actually be able to speak it. And I've seen great success with that program in my schools that I've worked at. Now, that's very cool. Well, gamification, of course, is, can be a very positive social force in a variety of different ways. I'm currently in a pre-holiday weight contest with my siblings. And mm. one of the things we did was we downloaded an app and it's all gamification, right? You get little bells and whistles if you achieve certain goals and all the rest of it. And, and absolutely, it's more compelling to do it that way. The language point that you make is interesting in the sense that, um, you know, we'll talk about the different ways in which these games could be used for educational purposes, but there have been some parents who have talked about the fact that if their kids are playing a massive multiplayer online game, they oftentimes will find themselves talking to kids from other parts of the world. And so, you know, whether they're using, uh, English as the common language or whatever, oftentimes they're working on their language skills in order to be able to better play the game. Yeah. Now, whether that outweighs some of the potential issues, I, I don't know <laughs> if that's true. But let's do a few statistics just to give people a sense, you know, beyond the money, which you know we focus on probably a little bit too much in general in our society. Um, the degree to which these are quote unquote engaging <laughs> is illustrated by the fact that According to the Entertainment Software Association, or ESA, which is a a well-known acronym, um, 90% of the gamers in the United States are over the age of 18. And um, the average age of your video game player is 31. And in that segment, I mean, that makes sense because the largest segment of gamers is the 18 to 34 age group. And that's at about 40%, just under 40%. Um, Under the age of 18, three quarters play video games, which sounds about right. I mean, you've got kids as little as one and two playing video (laughs) games. (laughs) But interestingly, and I think that this is partly a byproduct of the pandemic, is that now three quarters of parents are saying that they play with their kids at least once a week. And Mm -hmm. that I thought might be something that you could speak to as well. Yeah, I find that statistic really interesting. Um, first of all, if 90% of gamers are over 18 and three quarters of kids under the age of 18 play video games, um, I think we're running into that issue that we run into where we don't really know how old users are 
And so mm-hmm. it seems like that could be a little bit skewed. <laughs> so I, I think that's a, that's a perceptive <laughs> point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure the entertainment software association has a good idea of what's going on, but I think also, um, it, I believe the statistic of three quarters of kids under 18 are playing video games, uh, for sure, if not more, I'd be surprised if it if it wasn't right. more. And I'm uh, sure there were 15 year olds playing Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> oh yes, I'm sure. Uh, even younger, trust me. So the uh, other part about parents playing games with kids, I think, is really powerful because it brings up the idea of how you can use this in a positive way. And even if you're playing a game like Grand Theft Auto with your kids, for example, let's say you are. You then have an opportunity to have discussions about that uh, and what you're doing in the game and why it's okay to do it in a video game, but not in real life and things like that, that I I think those kinds of conversations, as we talk about everything, are so important to have. So playing the game with your kids is a good good strategy if you can handle it. And there are some (laughs) video games that are just awful and you can't stand <laughs> playing them with your kids right and and what parent doesn't want an opportunity to talk through the intricacies of prostitution with their kid? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes that, now, that too. You, and, and but but i say that jestingly but i say it with a reminder to parents that you really should do some research into these games you know before you let your kids play them and you know really before you start playing them with them because in fact there may be conversations that you're uncomfortable having at given ages. Mm -hmm. And it's, you may be uncomfortable, but the thing is, is your kids and their friends are likely playing these, um, Mm -hmm. these games. And so being aware of what's going on there is really vital. And, you know, in in my house, we have a Nintendo switch. We don't have a PS five or an Xbox or anything in those categories. Um, Mm -hmm. And so our games are intentionally much more casual games like Animal Crossing that my kids do play um, as well. And, you know, those those are different kinds of games. But, I mean, when you think about what video game entails, I mean, it's such a broad category that to think it's impossible for parents to play games with their kids is just crazy at this point because there are so many different ways to get engaged and for adults and kids together to enjoy it. Yeah, that's that's great advice. But let's bring it back to the uh, classroom and start looking at some yeah. of the implications there. Because look, you know, when you were principal, you were undoubtedly grappling with these issues in terms of the impact on kids and their learning ability. But then also, I would suspect, and we'll be talking about this, the desire of some teachers to engage with kids via video games. Yeah, and it is definitely a bonding moment when a teacher knows what games the kids are playing, even if they don't play them themselves, just knowing about it is, is a bonding moment because the kids think adults are so old and weird and don't know what's going on. But then to say, Oh yeah, I like that game is it really takes on a different, um, different stance. And kids are like, wait a minute, you do what, what's going on here. So that's good. But then I do want to reference the transformative principle podcast episode that I did with Zach Hartzman which is uh, at transformativeprincipal.org slash episode 314. And the links are in the show notes to that. But Zach teaches language arts and three times a week, he uses video games as the text rather than a book or a poem or some other piece of literature. And what's so fascinating about that, Fred, is that 
he's been able to bring these in and teach all the standards that he needs to teach using video games because essentially most video games are about a storyline and Mm -hmm. very good for teaching uh, fiction writing. And you can even bring other aspects in as well beyond just um, language arts, but also social studies and different things like that. So teaching things like a narrative arc within the scope of the game or the kind of three act structure that you might have with a movie, for instance. Yeah. And characters and how to uh, describe a setting. And obviously in the video game, they use images as well, but they also do have a storyline that goes along with it. So rather than just pressing the button to skip through it, Zach encourages his students to uh, pause and talk about what it is that they are seeing and experiencing and learning. And if you go to his website, which is heylistengames.com, you can see how he has different uh, lesson plans for different video games that teach different content areas. And it's really, really quite cool. That's that's really fascinating. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Let's talk a little bit about um, the impact on kids first, and then I think we can get into some of the specific risks that educators should be aware of. As cool as that is, obviously, there are some, uh, as our friend Troy likes to say, some slippery slopes that can arise with respect to that. So, you know, one of the things that's interesting is in terms of the research files that I've got on cyber traps for you know, the young and, and cyber traps for expecting moms and dads. I have a whole section on video games and I was reviewing it in preparation for this show. And it's really hysterical because I would say it is evenly divided between headlines that scream video games are the end of civilization and others that say video games will advance your child's education you know, on steroids. It's fabulous, wonderful. And you know, not all of those latter articles are actually written by publicity flax for the video <laughs> game. Some of them are actually written by actual PhDs. But you know, look, some of the things that educators need to be on the lookout for, obviously, are distraction. You know, sleep deprivation is an ongoing issue that we talk about on this show. Um, within games themselves, there's the risk of bullying and verbal abuse of one kind or another, particularly if the kids are doing voice over IP, like in-game conversations. And then lastly, you know, and this is something obviously both parents and educators need to be on the lookout for is the potential for grooming within those games, you know, that there's some kind of uh, effort to inculcate a relationship of some sort. Now, Mm -hmm. the flip side is, you know, again, as we said, people talk about improvement in language skills, um, the development of social skills, collaboration, teamwork with other people. You know, if you're blowing up a nest of aliens, it's good to be able to collaborate with the people (laughs) you're doing it with. And one that I was really interested in, which has just recently kind of popped up on on the literature, was this idea that video games actually helped prepare kids for remote learning. Uh, for the pandemic. And that actually struck me as being kind of an interesting observation. Yeah, that that to me sounds like somebody is uh, trying to find a silver lining somewhere and saying, <laughs> oh, this actually worked. So one thing that I saw during the pandemic was that kids would be in class uh, virtually, but then would be playing video games with their classmates during their classroom session. So it, that... 
talk about a preparation for remote learning. That, I <laughs> well, think it's just also amazing. for work, right? I think it's yeah. for, for office meetings. There you go, kid. Now you're prepped. <laughs> yeah. Well, well and, and because of that, and, and here we get into some of the spinoff issues that are so fascinating for the Cybertraps work I do, it becomes a privacy issue, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know what was the biggest driver of workplace surveillance in the United States? What's that? Solitaire, Windows Solitaire. Hmm. Because businesses discovered that once Windows, what was it, 93 or, or whatever, shipped with a solitaire game, all of their employees were playing solitaire. So they began to put in surveillance software to figure out what people were doing on their computers. And Interesting. You, see that, you see the same thing actually with kids because the fact that some students are trying to multitask like that encourages some school districts to install screen uh, monitoring software so that they can see what the kids do or even turn on their webcams when they're doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think all those things are just plain wrong on so many levels. And <laughs> Right. But you and, see how these things get driven, right? Right. But then how do you not do something like that also? How do you not yeah. pay attention to what the kids are doing and supervise in a way that you can ensure that kids are being safe so that you're not held accountable for it as the school district later. I mean, I, I don't deny that it's a tough question and conversation to have, but I do want to go back to the solitaire issue real quick. Cause I've got a great story about that. <laughs> so I was at a football game several years ago. And we, as we were leaving, you know how there's always police around directing traffic and there's so many sure. people. So they're just, yeah. they're just out there. Well, my wife and I walked by a police car and the lights were on and it wasn't like, like intense on, they were just like directing, you know, like yeah, the yeah, little yeah. yellow flashing light. So not a big deal, but I look in the window and the cop has the laptop in there and guess what he's playing solitaire, of course, <laughs> while, you know, while everybody's, you know, walking around doing their thing. He's well, over there yeah. playing solitaire and it just, it just cracked me up. And I don't think I'll ever forget that. So uh, it, sure. it a solitaire infects everything. And that, that could be <laughs> the beginning of, of uh, video games infecting everybody. So, well, at some point we should do a workplace distraction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could yeah. get the uh, designer of windows solitaire to come on and talk about how he ended Western civilization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay. So anyway, I think the other thing that, that I wanted to mention was with those positives and negatives that, that you mentioned, I think that there are opportunities for good things to happen. And again, it goes to the extremes that if you are all about the video game and you're staying up till two in the morning, playing it, then that's certainly a problem and not something that we want to have. But on the other hand, if you can use a video game to help you know how to collaborate with people in a way that is not, you know, just sitting down in front of each other and doing something, having something that you're focused on. I think that that is a, is a powerful place to be. So I think there are some positive forces um, pushing for video games to be successful in the classroom. Um, we talked a little bit about the gamification stuff. And I think that that's, um, that's it, you know, creeping into many different areas also. Um, but then just having them be, there as a as a way to, to get kids interested in something they might not otherwise be interested in. I was listening to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, and he had this uh, addendum on there where he talked about this 
war video game. I don't remember what it's called, but he he's, you know, a, an adult and not in the 18 to 34 age bracket. I don't know how old he is, but he's certainly <laughs> above that and very interested in, in, in war and things like that. And he was talking about this video game that is super engaging, super realistic and interviewed the developer who talked about how true they were trying to be to what actually oh, yeah. happened and make yeah. it realistic. So people could understand more what it felt like to be there. It, having the battles be in the correct places with correct uh, scenery and all that stuff. And so that definitely is a learning opportunity to talk about what war was really like in the 1940s, which is what that game was based on this world war two. Absolutely. Right. And, and obviously uh, your guest, Mr. Hartsman has done a brilliant job with this in terms of using these video games for engagement. I remember when my kids were younger, just as a joke, somebody used the Oregon Trail, you know, the old DOS game. Mm -hmm. There's actually an emulator version that you can find on the web. And so a whole new generation has learned that pretty much the only thing you do on the Oregon Trail is die of dysentery (laughs) somewhere along. But there, there actually were some really interesting conversations about what assumptions were built into these games and why they were you know, framing things in certain ways. So I think it is absolutely a valid tool to bring into the classroom under certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I think you have to balance it with other more traditional methods of, of education. Um, that being said, you know, certainly some of the structure of video games can be helpful. And of course, teachers have done this for years. I, you know, long before video games were ever imagined, I was getting gold stars on papers and things like that. So, you know, you know, as well as I do, the teachers know how to motivate in a micro fashion. And that's Mm -hmm. a lot of what gaming does. So maybe you give the teachers credit for how video games developed as opposed to the reverse. Yeah. I was just going to say something similar to that, that that gold star we got on our spelling test when we were kids, you know, was the first badge that we, that we ever got. And while I'm not a fan of grades in schools in particular, because they're all made up just like all the video game (laughs) rewards are all made up. um, You know, I'm not sure that I want to make that correlation, but it is what it is. And I think that there's certainly something to it. Well, yeah. And, and, and so when we get, when we start looking at this intersection between education and video games, the idea of leveling up, right? That's what going up one grade level literally is. And it becomes a real deal, obviously. I you know, certainly remember when I was in elementary school in our you know, wonderfully kind way, we would discuss whether or not there were going to be classmates <laughs> who would not level up, although we didn't use that phrase. Yeah. Um, so there's a risk there, right, that you can cause as much psychological harm as benefit. And that's mm-hmm. where I would think administrators would come in, right? Because you would need to be aware of how various educators were using these games in the classroom and what they were trying to achieve. Yeah, and that's that's the part where this this is where it gets scary, right? Because if you are, you know, using something like that World War II game that we talked about, and there is blood or there are depictions of um, things that they did in the Holocaust, those would be very sensitive and dangerous areas to be involved in. Mm -hmm. And so that's one aspect of it. Things like Grand Theft Auto and 
stealing cars and killing people and prostitution, that kind of stuff is all also questionable. And I don't think many teachers would say we should take that into the classroom to begin with um, because there's not as much value there as there is in the World War II game. But then if you are talking about video games and playing the video games yourself, it's very easy to get into a situation where you're having inappropriate conversations with kids or Mm. talking with kids late into the night when they should be going to bed, but it's the only time that you get to play. And then kids would naturally want to play against you because they want to destroy their teacher in whatever game they're playing. I mean, that's a very natural (laughs) instinct as well. Um, And so, and then the other thing is if you, if you are spending all your time, talking about these things, then it's opening the door for other inappropriate relationships to develop. Yeah. And and even before we get into the quasi criminal stuff, right. Right. Which is always such a great ending. (laughs) Why do we always end up there? (laughs) Well, read my book and you'll understand. (laughs) Even before you get there, you know, one of the questions that arises is, you know, if you've got a very engaged teacher who enjoys video games and he knows that some of his students also enjoy that same video game, is it appropriate for that teacher to use beat up the teacher time as a reward for good performance or better behavior in the classroom? Is that the kind of uh, trophy or badge or, or whatever that we want teachers handing out to kids? And if so, why not? Yeah, that's that's a good question. One of my teachers did actually do that. And he had a uh, video arcade emulator that was built on a Raspberry Pi in his classroom. And they would play old school video games like Street Fighter and other games from, you know, the 80s and 90s. And it was really cool to watch it happen and see what was going on because there were there were positive relationships being built and kids who really struggled with school could be successful in his classroom and build a positive, healthy relationship with him through those video games. So there was definitely some benefit to that. But there, I think you put your finger on precisely the point in his classroom. So those game, the game playing was being done on a physical device in the school building as I yep. understand it, right? So he's right, yeah. using the pie to run a video screen and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, in the show notes, there's a really interesting case of a Bronx teacher, Bronx, New York teacher, who was fired because he was offering Fortnite play sessions as mm-hmm. an incentive within the classroom. And basically the the school administration felt that that was really crossing a line because there was no way to monitor there was no way to supervise the interaction that he was having with students. Yeah, that's interesting. That's where you open it up to challenging questions. You know, if it's in the classroom, you're just playing there, then it's one thing when you're going out and doing it on the World Wide web, then it becomes <laughs> a, a different conversation, you know? And right. so, so here's a, 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 a different example. When I was in second grade, my teacher, Miss Bowen, had a yellow convertible, and she would take students of the week to Burger King for lunch. So we oh, would wow. drive in her car. That was a convertible, which was awesome. And, <laughs> and she would take us to lunch. She would buy us lunch, and we would eat it there at the restaurant, and then we would come back to school. Now, this was a long time ago. There, I don't know of any district where that would be 
considered okay at this point. Um, but you know, that was, that was a great way to bond. But once we yeah. left the school in yeah. her car, the principal had no idea what was going on. And right. to her credit, she always took multiple kids at once. So it was never just her one-on-one with another kid. But the day that I got to go was amazing and I loved it. And I was, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So it, and, and you and clearly haven't forgotten it. Obviously second grade. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that there's, you want to build relationships where things that make you feel like you're seen and special happen, but you also need to be careful that you're not doing it in a way that puts you at risk. And so, you know, I think with that story from the teacher in the Bronx, that's, that's a, a valid concern. We don't know what's going on. And right. if something happens, then we're going to be the ones dealing with it. Not, I mean, the teacher's going to deal with it too, but right. certainly the school right. district is going to. So they do well, need and- to put some things in place. Well, I think that's right. And and look, you're more of a gamer than I am by far. And and I think you are more aware of the the intensity that can arise in video games, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's language usage that will pop up that probably isn't appropriate. You know, maybe your your the gameplay encourages you to quote unquote do things to each other that you wouldn't mm-hmm. nec- you know, in terms of I'm I'm gonna shoot you if it's one-on-one that kind of thing and not even that you know you're going to turn some student into a school shooter but it it changes the the i would argue it changes the nature of the relationship between the student and the teacher um and i think that that can be problematic um you hate to say that because you want there to be friendliness and you know kind of a, a collaborative emotional bond but it's so it's so fraught with potential misdirection yeah and the real thing is i think it's it's just easy to go down the wrong path um, and without any intention i mean that to me is what it really comes down to is that when you when you do this you have the potential to just make bad choices and and that's (laughs) you know it it, and it happens fast and you're not prepared for it and you know some kid engages in bullying behavior on the game or the teacher does without realizing it i mean those are just opportunities for for bad stuff to happen and then that stuff gets brought into the school and creates all this drama and you know if the if the teacher made a taunting remark in the video game that could totally destroy a relationship with a kid um, and cause all kinds of other problems. And uh, I'm, I'm bringing some examples up because I, that are not related to video games, because I think that it highlights that these things still happen otherwise, but then it can become so much worse. So this example is um, that when I was in, when I was principal, I would play basketball with the kids um, during lunch as much as I could. And I, I, I have not lost a game to a kid and we always played one-on-one and, and one student got really mad that I beat him because he was like the star um, at playing basketball. And as soon as I beat him and I'm not a trash talker, so I don't like, I don't do that, but he, he was really mad that I beat him and that I beat him fair and square. And he was very frustrated and our relationship changed after that to where he became much more defiant towards me personally. He, 
got upset when things happened and it just escalated so quickly that I was just having fun playing basketball. And when I beat this kid, he was just, he couldn't handle it and he did not like losing. And so I could see him and see that he was getting upset. And so I toned down what I was doing and wasn't trying as hard. And then, um, and I still ended up beating him, but that was so frustrating for him and frustrating for me afterward, because I wasn't trying to, to hurt him or damage our relationship. I was trying to bond and build the relationship and, and that just didn't work. And so seeing him and seeing him get angry was one thing I can only imagine if I couldn't see or hear what he was saying. And he was just fuming on the other side. It's easy well, to get stuck in that right. situation. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And and again, we come back to this idea that we lose our social cues often mm-hmm. when we're online doing these kinds of things. And maybe you know that's lessened if you've got the voice over IP kind of instant communication. But still, you know, you're not seeing someone's facial expressions, their reactions, that kind of thing. I do think it is important to throw out one final thing that probably should be an absolute bright line for any educator, which is to not try to facilitate that online bonding by, for instance, giving a game console to a kid Mm -hmm. or giving them various game titles, because that really does create an impression of some kind of grooming, uh, some kind of special solicitous attention that uh, could be very easily misread um, even, or could be accurately read if that's exactly what yeah. you're trying to do. But but schools, I think, should should have a fairly bright line that that kind of gift giving is not appropriate uh, in the context of a teacher-student relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a way to do it effectively. But part of the problem is that video games are perceived as expensive and anything mm-hmm. that's expensive raises eyebrows. And so that's where if a teacher gives books to kids, nobody cares because they're just giving books away, right? But the same exact thing could happen. So having a lending library, if you will, of a here's here's a bunch of games that I have. You can come and take the games, go home and play them, and then bring them back. Um, That kind of a situation would be better because it's not you singling out and giving something to someone. It is This is open for everybody. Whoever wants it can take it. And that's a different setup. So thinking about those things and how you do them is really important also because it can appear inappropriate in one instance and appear totally appropriate in another. Well, and this is this, by the way, is is precisely the kind of conversation within the school that the model code of ethics for educators is designed to facilitate. So -hmm. you would definitely want to talk this through. And hopefully educators would go to someone in your position and say, hey, I think kids would really enjoy this. How do I do it? Or, you know, what are the potential problems if I start letting kids use these things and go Mm -hmm. from there? But again, as we said, between parents and kids, it's about conversations between educators and administrators. Mm-hmm. And Not having the teachers or kids, but <laughs> yeah, but having those conversations solves problems before they become problems. And exactly, yeah. just saying, I'm going to be playing like this Bronx teacher, I'm going to be playing Fortnite as a reward. Having that conversation beforehand would have likely put the kibosh on it from the very beginning, but could have opened a way for the principal to say, Okay, that's fine. Here's the parameters. And as long as you're doing these things, then no problem at all. Right. And like giving 
giving parents a heads up so that they could, you know, watch or participate or whatever, mm-hmm. maybe having another adult teammate, something like that. Yeah. Or saying, I'm going to stream it. And ah, this, yeah. this is going to be so that everybody in the class can see so-and-so beat down on the teacher that, you know, that way <laughs> it's brilliant. right. It, well, what, what happens there is it makes it so that you can make it not just for the one kid, but make it for lots of kids to be able to participate, even if they don't have access to Fortnite themselves. And so yeah. if it's yeah. streaming, for example, then you need to watch your language because other kids and their parents are watch or watch could be watching this. And the principal can check anytime and see that things are being said appropriately. Um, it's recorded. So you have a record of it and the tech, the audio could be transcribed so that you know what everybody's saying. All those things are, are great ways to have the conversation beforehand, put parameters in place so that you can do the cool thing and, and then be able to do it. That's brilliant. Excellent. So stream your life (laughs) or at least, (laughs) at least your video games. So in the show notes, we have links to various articles of issues that teachers have faced involving video games. We have uh, some stuff regarding the impact of video games on the classroom and on learning in general. There's the link to Zachary Hartsman's podcast with Jethro. And then a shout out, as usual, to our soon-to-be best friends, we hope, at Common Sense Media on the best video games for kids. So check out all of those resources on the show notes for this episode. If you are interested in the wildly uh, competing views of the impact of video games on your kids, let us know. And I'm happy to share some of the references that I have. But that's a debate, Jethro, that I do not think is going to be resolved anytime soon. No, certainly not. I mean, this is there's a ton of great stuff um, at the show notes page um, at cybertraps.com. So make sure you check that out because great articles, really insightful, and some stuff that we didn't get to in the in the conversation today. So um, do want to point out that I made a mistake. It's heylistengames.org, not .com. So sorry, Zach, but I think that's a, a good um, good good place to go and check out what's possible in a positive and healthy way because he's doing a and really that, great job. And that link is in the resources as corrected. So it is that's all right. good to go. <laughs> and I actually am looking forward to checking it out myself. I think that's a really fascinating approach to classroom uh, education. Mm-hmm. All right, Jethro, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, esports, video gaming, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you will share the show with your colleagues and let us know if you have topic suggestions, questions, or guest ideas. If you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast like we enjoyed making it, please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast player of choice. We look forward to seeing you on Thursday for our next recorded interview.
there are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.